Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We Are One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. Hey, uh, we are so excited today. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the We Are One podcast. Typically, this would be a space where we talk leadership, a little theology, a lot of practical aspects of ministry, creativity, all that stuff. But today is a special episode, and uh, we have our, I would say, good friend now at this point. We're developing a relationship, and I'm excited even for the future with Sam Eaton. And uh, you run an amazing organization called Recklessly Alive. And actually, here, I want to show this because uh, I know we aren't going to get to talk a lot about the book, but we kind of are at the same time. The whole conversation is about this. But you released your first book? Yeah, my first book. Recklessly Alive. Okay, I want to talk about your story in a second. Tell me about the book first, the the journey of the book, because it's covering your life. So why don't you weave in like your life a little bit, the book, tell me about like how it's done. It's helping a lot of people, and then we're getting into this conversation today. Absolutely. So the book is what my suicide attempt taught me about God and living life to the fullest. And so my suicide attempt at 23 is the middle chapter of the book. So the first half of the book is what are those things and what are those stories of my life that led to that? Yes. That leads a person to have that brain chemistry and that that self-talk where you're like, I don't even want to be alive. And what are the stories since then? That was at 23. It goes to stories till I'm 29. What are the things after, right? What does the Mm. journey look like? post that and what are all the things that I would have missed had I made a different choice okay so we I'm excited because this conversation you already just my my mind is buzzing with questions already off that I just want to go into but let's set it up first so at the age of 23 you attempted to take your life how old are you now Mm -hmm. 34 34 it's a good age I am as well but when people watch this later we'll be older but (laughs) timeless we'll be 34 (laughs) forever um but obviously you've learned a lot since then uh you've been able to travel the world because you were a teacher Music teacher, right? For yeah, 12 years. Absolutely. Taught in the public schools, choir okay. and music, K-12, and did now, a thing. Yeah. Now you're doing this full time. Absolutely. Traveling, suicide prevention, ministering to people, um, getting the word out that we actually just got, because we just released our single, uh, Choose to Live. I actually was just looking at a DM, literally right before we begin to shoot this, of a girl that went to say, she said, this song right now, I've been listening on repeat, it's saving my life. I think people are trying to find words to express like what it is. I know the song is not saving their life. It's the spirit of God. It's like, it's the, it's the name of Jesus that can be lifted up in that. And that's your message. Right. But it's like, it's giving people a reason to live, but it's, it needs, you got to want to live beyond a good book or beyond a song. Right. And I want to talk about that. Like not only people discovering, you know, that the purpose in their life, the reason to live, but we want to talk even practically, how can we help parents, leaders, maybe even people listening, practically figuring some things out, when we talk about suicide, mental uh, health, uh, anxiety, depression, all the things that you went through. And I would just say this first off, um, stop right now this podcast, listening, watching, whatever. And if you have not heard Sam's story, you can go to the link in the description. Watch the interview that we did to really take in the full story, take in all the details. You'll learn a lot, I think, from that. And then also, I just want to promote this because they go on Amazon, right? Absolutely. Get this on Amazon. Get this book. Amazing book. Um, I just started reading it, but I love, uh, I was just telling right before we started, I love how chapter to chapter, it jumps to the different ages of your life, kind of showing like, you know, 12 years old. I think I think one of them said eight years old, 23 years old, like, because that was kind of how you could break it down, right? It's like there was these mile marker moments in your life. Like when you start looking at kind of your journey and looking back on all the different moments that led to, I guess, even having this conversation right now, were there early warning signs? Like, were there things like right away you're like, man, I'm going down a dark hole or were you already there before you could realize it? Like looking back, how would you maybe help people as, uh, you know, at this point they've already watched the other interview. They're here now back. They're taking this in. They're, they're a leader, a parent, or maybe there's somebody going through it. What, what point did you start realizing like you are in trouble? So truthfully, my childhood had a lot of struggles. My dad was an alcoholic, and because of that disease, just caused a ton of pain Mm. in my life. Home, I never knew if it was going to be like a jokey drunk day or like a chair-throwing day. And so my home wasn't always a safe place for me to be. So that that is the groundwork for 
things like, was I wanted in this world? Should I have existed? Some of those big questions that a lot of us struggle with on an ongoing basis, but I held it together. Like my dad left when I was 12. I haven't seen him since, wow. uh, but I, I was, I had straight A's in middle school. I was on the basketball team. Like I was moving and shaking. Like life was fine. No yeah. one knew kind of the chaos that was happening behind the scenes. And, yeah. and I was kind of the one helping to keep our family going and together. When I got to high school, all of that changed. I turned 14. I couldn't concentrate in school anymore. I felt worthless. I quit all of my sports. I pulled out of the things I loved. I just hid in video games. Uh, I would write on my papers every day. I hate my life. I hate my life over and over again. And it was just this cycle of pain that I never talked about because no one, no one had ever talked to me about what depression is. Like mm. I didn't know that what I was experiencing has a name, yeah. that it's an illness, that it's called depression, and that it, there's help and there's hope through all of that. But no one ever stood up and said, hey, your life might, this might get there. This might get yeah. hard, specifically about suicide. So it wasn't mm. until I attempted at 23 that I even heard anyone talk about it or how to get help. So in a lot of ways, the I had to create that path for myself. And mm. luckily that seems to start being changed to change that, churches and, and communities are willing to start talking about it. Do, what would you say for you looking back on your journey? Was there sort of this, um, this buildup from like, I feel a little anxious right now. I feel a little more anxious right now. I think I'm depressed now. I don't think I want to live anymore and I want to kill myself. Like what was the journey you would find even what you felt mentally, what you felt emotionally, like everything. I mean, one of the hardest parts about mental illness is it's complete ups and downs. Like mm. you have these low moments, but you kind of find ways. But then you to, have good days, you're to saying. To pull yourself out of it. And so there's two types of suicidal thoughts. There's passive suicidal thoughts, which are just those, I don't want to be alive or I wish I didn't exist. And then there's active, which is thinking about making a plan. Maybe you start to Google something or you think about the ways or you start thinking about your funeral. And so those are, those are two very different things. Mm. Um, and so much of my childhood into high school was these passive ideas. Mm. It wasn't, very rarely were they active and then it, it became more active the worse that it got and the more help, helpless that I, I got. And I think yeah. a lot of people identify that over time, right? Suddenly you look back and you're like, oh, I've felt this way for 10 years. Wow. And I, I don't think I can feel this way for another 50 or 60 years. Mm. So there, it wasn't like a, a gradual crescendo or like a build into it. It was uh, just ongoing pain that, that built up over time. So you said, um, you said you didn't really identify exactly what it was, and that's what I want you to do, but you said 23 is when you just were ready to be done. But then you talked about the age of 29. Why specifically, tell me why specifically 29? And then what was the journey from 23 to 29? Or maybe, maybe even 29 now to 34. What's the journey look like? So after I attempted, I, I'd only ever told two people. I didn't tell my family. I really kept it hidden. Uh, it's embarrassing thing for a lot of people to talk about me included. Yeah. I just, I didn't know even how to open up and I didn't know how people would take that. And the one, the first person I told, she just bawled her eyes out and mm. then hugged me and then never talked about it again. And so that was my frame of reference of this is what happens if you tell people you hurt them. Yeah. And so, you know, we get, we give this um, idea that suicide is selfish and truthfully, I, in a lot of ways I was, I was holding it in because I didn't, I didn't want to be a burden. I was trying to be selfless and protect mm. the people around me. So the journey, like, I wish I could tell you, God just instantly healed me and it was perfect. Right. I did make some very significant changes. I mean, after that attempt, I said to God, I was like, I need you to, if you're real, I need you to show me how to live a better life because mm. clearly all the decisions that I have made have led me to a place where I don't even want to be alive. Yep. So there absolutely was a surrender moment where, and, and my, my feeling was just, you know, Sam, have you really given life everything you've got? Mm. Have you really tried to heal? Have you tried to pay off your student loans? Have you tried to exercise and, and create the body and the life that you wanted? Have you put yourself out there to make new friends, to make community? And the answer was no. The answer was I was stuck in, in feeling sad and I hadn't pushed myself through that. So it has been ongoing. I still battle suicidal thoughts today. Even 11 years later, it is something that I continue to work through, but my toolbox is way better. Okay, because right? that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, that's a great way to say it. It's like, it's the, the toolbox you have, maybe for someone listening right now, like, man, I resonate with what he's saying. This is how I feel. Or maybe for me, it's like, I'm sitting here now as a leader, like, how do I approach this with people? Because for me specifically, I haven't quite gone through what you're saying, right? But I don't want to be like, well, I can't relate to you. Like, 
I need to be able to reach out and relate and help anyone that's in need, especially as a pastor. But I think if you're a parent listening right now, you're a pastor, maybe a teacher that finds this, it's like, what what does that toolbox look like? What are the tools? So let's talk about um, maybe this thought here. You talked about how you begin to change some things, you begin to do things different. Uh, what is your morning, night, like day routine look like? I know like you're traveling or not, not a lot now, you were telling me your schedule, you're all over the place here the rest of the, the year, but... What does that routine look like? And I'm asking the question so it doesn't apply. Let's change the question. How does that help you overcoming those thoughts and keeping your mind healthy? Like how does either a routine or just anything in that kind of sphere play a role in your mental health? First and foremost, like mental health is hard to treat because everybody's different and different things work for everyone. It's not just here's a pill and you're better. And so for me, uh, exercise has been critical. Like I have to, I get up and I move every day and that's when I do focus on filling my mind with good things is I move. Like Mm. a lot of people, you know, especially a lot of churches, like you got to have your quiet time. You got to sit still. That's just not how I'm built. And I feel better on the move, on the run. So that is a habit that I use. And, And truthfully, like when you're talking about mental illness, you're battling on three fronts. There's a very physical side to mental illness, how you care for your body, the food that you eat, are you hydrated? Are you getting enough sleep? The way that you feel in your body directly impacts your mental health. Okay. There's a very mental side to mental health. Obviously, how do you talk to yourself? What do you believe about yourself? Have you been through hard things that maybe you haven't processed with a therapist or or trauma that you've been through and how those things shape? I mean, trauma, there's a lot of research. So trauma stays in the body. Like trauma, your body holds on to that trauma and we have to find ways to heal that and move through that. And there's a very spiritual side to mental illness. Mm. And that that is a part that a lot of people don't want to talk about. But it's things like knowing that you were made on purpose for a purpose, right? Knowing that God knew me before I was in the womb. Like, I'm not an accident. God intended me for me to exist just as every human being. And he's got a purpose for me while I'm here. I might not see that purpose. My brain might be lying to me today. And I might not believe that purpose. But there is much greater things to come. Than, than what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling, and then it's that right. hope. So it's it's setting up your routine for each of those things, depending on how you're feeling. And there there are days I tend to journal in the morning. I ask myself, you know, what's what's uh, a negative thought that you're having today? This is what I do every single morning. Um, maybe it's, you know, I'm not good enough for this event today, whatever that is. And then I write, what's the thought that I need to hear to combat that? And I do that every day. And over time you start to see these patterns, right? If every day I wake up and say, I'm ugly. Okay. What's the thing that I need to hear? And then what are the action steps I need to take to change that? Right? So if I don't like the way that I look saying, just lying to myself, isn't going to fix that. It's both. So that's definitely a habit for me. The exercises I mentioned, focusing on nutrition and water intake and sleep seriously some of the most important things so let's talk about sleep because i know maybe even everybody's body's a little bit different but what have you found with sleep is there a point at which you oversleep that can hurt hurt that or obviously the undersleep can what like how have you found that kind of range to be in that spot physically yeah it probably the hardest thing and i was even battling this 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 past week is how do you know when you're feeling physically down Mm. or mentally down they feel the same right so am i coming on with a cold or am I feeling just tired and lazy today? So you're constantly asking yourself that question. There's a lot of good research on sleep hygiene. That's what I encourage people to look at. But really setting a sleep schedule, making sure you're waking up every single day around the same time is really important. Yeah. Um, no screens for that last hour of the day and that first hour of the day, which is convicting because it's so hard. Yeah. Um, but that is a really big part of sleep, keeping your room cool. Um, there's lots of great tips on sleep. but. Okay. That's a great place to start. That's good. Let's talk about, you talked about the screen, okay? Screen time. I think anyone can look at their screen time and feel convicted uh, and kind of be like, oh man, I did not know I had that app that open for that long. Like I even looked at how long uh, I had been in the texting app and the messages app last week. It was 18 hours last week. And again, obviously my job is a lot of communication, but like for 18 hours, of my week last week, I'm on my phone. Then you add social media and all these other things into it. But what would you say, um, either for yourself, and you can kind of come off of that and come back, we'll just have the conversation, but either screen time, like the how that can become a bad habit, like 
Maybe is that a bad habit for some people that can really trigger mental health or even for yourself, what are some of the triggers even beyond that? Maybe talk about both things like you said to this day, 11 years later. So what are the triggers you found you have to be aware of? Or let's talk about screen time. Absolutely. I mean, when it comes to screen time, I mean, those things are designed to be addictive. And over and over again, we see that it's not good for our mental health for us to be staring at the screen. I think specifically around TikTok, I love TikTok. I don't think our brains are designed to handle a sad video and then immediately a funny video and then immediately a sad video. I didn't like think about that. The emotional range that that takes and, wow. and just the exhaustion that that does to your brain because wow. your brain isn't used to that and, and can become addicted. So hmm. I think especially as people in the community, we have to be aware, like it is not realistic to tell a kid, don't be on your phone, right? That's yeah. just not realistic. Yeah. But how do we coach ourselves? Like, how do we set those time limits on our phone? Very easy to set a one hour TikTok time limit on your phone every day and it'll go off and it'll tell you and then respect that. So it's, some of it's, how do you parent yourself? Truthfully, yeah. like that's some of mental health growing up is like, okay, how do I decide what's enough? And, and, and it's an experiment, right? After you watch TikTok for two hours, how do you feel? Just ask yourself that. Do I feel great right now? Am I at my best? Or do I feel drained? Do I feel lethargic? Yeah. Am I happy with my life? Am I doing the things that I want to do with my time here on earth? Like those are some of the bigger questions we have to ask ourselves. It's not that social media is causing all of this, but it's definitely part of it. Yeah. And what are the triggers for me? I mean, a lot of it comes back to self-talk. So a lot of people who feel suicidal, it comes down to feeling trapped feeling hopeless, feeling like things will never get better. And so what are the practical things that we can do to combat those feelings of hopelessness? So after my suicide attempt, I did this. I said, every single day, I'm going to do one thing that makes my life better or makes the world a better place, and I'm going to take a picture of it. And this is a challenge that I, I encourage everyone to give to a student. This is a mm. great practical thing you can do. Okay. I want you to do one thing every day that makes your life better. That can be a 10-minute walk. That can be a 10 minutes of in your Bible or reading a book. Uh, that can be volunteering. That can be going to an exercise class. That can be calling a friend that you don't feel like calling. You, you have to push yourself sometimes to do the things that you don't want to do. But when you take a picture of that, put that in a photo album. I did that for over five months. Now you've got five months of photos. Wow. When you're feeling low, go look at those photos. Like wow. photos of people who love you, photos of that. Maybe it's cleaning a closet, right? It's just taking practical steps and getting momentum back in your life to combat that feeling of I'm stuck. I'm not yeah. going anywhere. There's nothing here for me. That's so good. I mean, you talk about momentum, something that we always say is like momentum starts with a moment, right? So it's like you're saying on that day, one moment, 10 minutes, it's just a moment, but those moments add up like very quickly to be something meaningful. Um, you talked earlier, you know, and I think, I think this is kind of a, um, maybe a pivot point to either some parents listening some leaders listening, how to open up, how to know how to receive, but also maybe let's help a couple people. Um, you know, they feel like they've been trying, they feel like they're, they're not getting over this. They feel like whatever, but they've done it thus far on their own. Hmm. And now it's the point that they got to talk about it. They got to open up to somebody. They got to finally have the conversation for the first time. And I, and I wish, and if I could even just say this, if you're, if you are a parent, a leader taking this in right now, watching, listening, however, we have to be the ones to initiate this. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. We have to be the ones to make room for that, to ask, to make open space. But let's say if that hasn't happened, how does someone begin? Like maybe some steps, some tips. Um, I, again, I know what you said. Mental health is different for everyone. Their thoughts are different. Their feelings are different. But what are some practical maybe um, verbiage they could use or some communication tactics, anything they could start to say, I have to talk to somebody. How do you gauge who you talk to and maybe who you don't? Uh, what do you say? What do you not? Or is, should you say whatever you're feeling, where do you go? First and foremost, I would decide I'm going to tell someone. This is to a point where I can't do this on my own. And I'm, I'm going to find one person I feel safe with to start. Okay. And I, you know, I hope that's your parents. And maybe it's not. Maybe you're in a house that you don't think that's going to go well. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a counselor at school. Maybe that's someone at your church. Maybe that's just a friend on the basketball team. And maybe you don't have to tell them how extreme it is yeah. to start. You know, I hope that you feel open and I hope, but maybe it's just saying, Hey, I, I've been really struggling mentally yeah. lately. I'm feeling really down. Um, can we talk about that? Right? So there are ways to talk about it without 
scaring people. And I, I pray every day that the world is going to change. And I think it is starting to change where we can be open and talk about that. But I want everyone else's first interaction telling someone to be better than mine. I don't want it to be because yeah. I didn't tell anyone again for five or seven years because yeah. that first interaction was so bad. So it's, it's carefully choosing that person, but also pushing yourself to tell someone yeah. and to have an accountability person who can check in and can be in it with you because it feels so lonely. Right. And that's mm. where the enemy wants you mm -hmm. truthfully. Like they want you isolated. They want you alone. They want you ruminating on your own bad thoughts. Mm. And we start to let that light in when we let other people help us fight that battle. I think it's so good. Um, cause I think some of the things that they need to discuss, um, and again, I want to be careful how I classify this because first of all, like as a believer in Jesus, I believe God can do anything. 100%. I believe he can heal somebody. I believe that like people, I, I've seen drug addicts like, like cold turkey, stop doing, stop doing cocaine, like legitimately. But this is a, this is a, a mental, what you call it? A disease. This is yeah, like mental a, illness, a, a, a scr for sure. struggle. And you know, so in the same way, you know, like somebody that would have cancer would go get chemo or get a surgery or. Um, I know I even have some physical things where I have to take like different steroids or medications or pills for it or whatever. Um, how do you speak to this uh, to, I guess, twofold one, um, at what point is it time to talk about a need for medication? Maybe, uh, maybe a need to like, I, we need to pursue, you know, counseling, good, get some good Christian counseling, whatever that is. And then at what point is it like, Hey, I just need to keep accountability in my life. How do you measure those steps because i know it's like then there's the thought of man i'm on medication for this now like then how do you process that like how have you found that out or talk to people or and then i have a, a a part two to that as well so the first time that i took the step to take medication i think i was 27 and i sat on my kitchen floor and i just cried with this pill bottle because mm. i could not admit to myself that i needed an extra push ah. for my brain that felt like weakness instead of strength um, knowing, knowing what I know now, it's like, right. Asking yeah. for help and just trying to feel the best that you can. Yeah. Gosh, that's, that's strength. That's courage, but it's not what it felt like yeah, in that moment. And kind of like I talked about before the physical, mental, and spiritual aspect, churches tend to really focus on that spiritual aspect, right? Just hug your Bible closer. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, yes, but also we have medication and science that can help. So, right. Yeah. A doctor might focus on that physical side a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, your primary care doctor is a great place to start. Like just at your next physical, you can just say, hey, I kind of, you know, I've been struggling a little bit mentally. They can give you a, it's about a seven question questionnaire and they can start and kind of be a point of contact okay. for you. And maybe that's just a really low dose. And for a lot of people, um, maybe it doesn't fix it. It's not like, but it, it might just give you a boost in energy. It might give you just this little boost to take the steps that you need to take. How your would life you back. measure, how would you measure this? Like at what point is it like I've prayed and I've done everything physically I need to do before I start medication? Or at what point do you measure the need to start it? Because, you know, again, you get on social media, you get on YouTube, you can hear horror stories or you can hear, uh, what's it called? Like little underground rumors about anything and everything. Absolutely. And it's like, it's tough to know sometimes what is true, what isn't, you know, at what point is there this, like, there's this thought or this fear, like, are these doctors just trying to like bulk up the, the pharmaceutical industry to do this? Or at what point is it, I really need to do it. And I have prayed, and I've done the, like, how do you measure when to start or what to do first? Could you give me just a framework? I mean, there is no perfect path for everyone, first and foremost, yes. right? Like, let's just look at, here are 40 things I could do to improve my mental health. Medication is one of okay, those so I think that's important to spectrum. Talk about. Yep. If you've tried other things, I, I, don't, I would encourage you not to be afraid of it. And I say that full-heartedly, full it didn't work for me, you know? I don't share that a lot because I don't want to discourage people from trying it. Right. Some of the side effects of medication are suicidal thoughts. And mm. so I just kept saying to my doctor, well, how do we know if this is working? How can you tell me if this is the medication or this is just who I yeah. am? But they, they didn't work for me and I had really poor side effects. Okay. So I ended up finding other tools yeah. um, for a lot of people. I mean, for millions of people, the medication is a really, really good thing and yeah. it's really helpful to them. And actually there is, they've now, they have a blood test that they can do that will measure 
the best medication for you or some of the best types of depression medications. So some of those fears that we've had for so long, our science is is getting ahead of those. So in a lot of places, you can go to your doctor and just talk about that blood test Hmm. and then they can zero in. So you don't have to have the experience I had where I was trying three, four, five and months of of kind of misery. I think the way you said it is so huge too, because I think I think especially in the church world, the conversation always is about medication or no medication. But I think that's such a small-minded conversation. Because like what you just said here is like, we're trying to build this toolbox. That's this whole conversation, right? Like we're, this, we're building this mental toolbox of what are the things that we need to do physically, mental exercises. You know, we're talking about the, the medical side of things, all of that. That's one small piece in the midst of so many other things. So would you say, when I say this, this is accurate, if you run to that, but don't do the other things, it's not going to work? 100%. Okay. But if you maybe do the other things and it's not helping, that's maybe a pathway as well. It's like, it's looking at all of the tools and figuring out what is maybe necessary. And, and what do you feel comfortable trying, right? Maybe you're just in a place where you're like, yeah, I'm right. Like, let's just try it. And maybe you're not. And accepting that all of that is okay, right? Yeah. You can just take advice and learn from other people's journeys yeah. and... It, it, it's, it's an experiment, right? A lot of it's just, but you got to try. If, if there's one thing that people hear from this, I want uh, that are feeling hopeless, please just try something yeah. today. Try one new habit. Try talking to your doctor. Try one round of therapy, right? Just keep trying. Don't, don't give up. Don't give into that hopeless feeling because my story is proof that there is hope for everyone Amen. to find a way through this. Good. And, and that is why I do what I do. I don't love talking about this. I never wanted to be the person traveling around talking about suicide. You're a musician. You're a singer. Talking like you about teaching. the worst day of my life was yeah. is it's not fun in the moment. Yeah. But to that kid who's listening, or to that parent who's listening, who doesn't think that there's hope or is feeling so discouraged, I, I promise you, there is so much help. My part two to that, we talked about having the communication say of like, this is what I'm going through with somebody. How about if uh, someone has been trying now that they're going to look at this and say, okay, toolbox, I got to try some things. They've been trying. They have not tried medication. Maybe it's because generationally, um, if their parent is a, is in the boomer or something in that world where it's like, we didn't have this problem. Why do you have this problem? And their generational gaps are huge when we talk about mental health. Right. And it's, it can affect everyone, but I definitely think the gaps in the conversations are huge. How can they begin to have a conversation with their parents about like, mom and dad, this is where I'm at. Like, what do I, I need? I feel like I want to try medication. They're like, you're not doing that medication, you know? And like, and again, I know it's, it's a conversation. It's a journey. It's something everyone's figuring out as a family, let's say. And this is not to push anything on anybody, mm-hmm. but just maybe to help a family right now, how could they have some of these conversations in a good way, especially let's even say about like with medication or about the steps with their suicidal thoughts or anything like that. First and foremost to that person, build your team, right? We, yeah. we want our parents and our family to be that team. It's good. Sometimes at the beginning, they're not right. Sometimes that, that, that team is our friends who feel like family mm. and, and start there. Good. How do you have the conversation? I, I would, I, I say this cause I never did. I didn't even tell my mom until I started this that I had attempted. Um, and that, that brought a lot of tension in our relationship. And for a lot of people, they felt hurt that I never opened up and shared what I was going through. Uh, I, I would say something along the lines of, I want to feel better. Hmm. Mom, dad, I, I've been feeling this way for a while. It just hurts to be alive. And if there's something out there that can help me, could we please try that? Hmm. I think when we get vulnerable about our pain and we get real, I don't know a single parent in the world that would want their kid to feel pain. Right. And so their fear, I think their fears will be subsided if you are honest about what you're feeling and, and you, you talk to the medical professionals, maybe bring them research even. Um, and if they, if they are against it, you got to keep fighting for yourself. Yeah. That's the other piece is, you, you got to fight sometimes it to get be, better. Well, they won't allow me to do this, so I'm giving up. Exactly. I mean, that the mental health journey is a fight, and it's maybe the hardest fight because you don't feel like fighting. You don't have energy. Sometimes taking a shower can feel like the most insurmountable task. Mm. And so you got to love yourself. You got to lean into that self-love. You got to coach yourself, and you got to push yourself. And mm. that's the balance of this conversation, right? It's Yeah. 
It's both. Show yourself that love and I got to do my 10 minutes every day or and I got to push myself. Maybe some friends or family um, that are listening to this right now, they have a loved one and they know that they are walking through this. Maybe they don't understand it. It's just like, I never went through that. Absolutely. I don't understand it. And that's real. That happens a lot. What would you say maybe about your journey when you were at your lowest point, when you were really struggling? Let's start with, maybe you can tell me both sides and just answer it, is what do you wish some things they would have done would have been? Like when you're at that point, how do you wish they would have helped you or what would they done? And maybe what were some things that people around you did do well that loved you to help some people listening? Most people will say, first and foremost, they just want someone to listen and to show empathy, not judge, not try to fix, just listen, let them open up, give them space to tell them what they're going through and show that piece of, I'm so sorry. That's so hard. I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. When I have been suicidal, that is truthfully one of the best gifts that you can give me. Hmm. Furthermore, helping with some of the practical things in life. One of the most painful things that happened, I went through another really low piece when I was 28, 29, um, had lost some community, a relationship had ended. I, I just went through a rough patch. Um, and someone said to me, I knew you were struggling, but I didn't really know what to do. Mm. And all I wish is that person had just come to my house and say, I know you're struggling and I'm here. Instead of not talking to me for four months because they felt awkward or they yeah. didn't know what to do. So first and foremost, just show up. You don't like, maybe yeah. that's just a text that says, hey, do you want to watch a movie and distract your brain for a while? Hmm. Maybe it's the practical things in life. I can't tell you, like I just said, like take, sometimes taking a shower is so tough. Can you just drop off a meal? Can you just go for a walk with them? It's sometimes it's offering those practical, can you clean their kitchen? Can you offer some of those practical things? And the other side of it is that person has to be willing to accept help. Yeah. One of the most frustrating things I hear is from parents or friends who are like, they won't do anything. They won't try. And, and it's a conversation of both. Okay. So what do you think some things that people did well for you that were helpful you can encourage some people with? Or if there's not, I mean, like your story is your story, but. I think our tendency in this world today is we see this good vibes only, right? Like mm. we've got this, I only want to be around people who are happy and you know, they're giving off fun, good vibes. And I, I just wish so much we could change that to real vibes only. That's just good. allow people to be who they are in the moment, right? If you say to me, you can only be around me when you're happy or when you are at your best, that just fuels this, this shame hmm. of, I don't know why my brain is sad today. I yeah. don't have a reason. I can't tell you why, but I need you. I need you to just be with me in this moment. And mental illness can feel so lonely. Yeah, That's probably the piece that, that most people don't get. It just feels lonely. And to have other people around who love you no matter what, who show that unconditional love, who will say, I don't understand it, but I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. It's good. How are you doing? What can I do for you? And if they say nothing, that's okay. It's good. But having people in your corner who who aren't going anywhere. Real vibes only. Real vibes. That's good. I think that I think that's a good thought that people can take away because so much of social media we know too, it is all about just publicizing your best. It is good vibes only. I know I've even had moments like when I'm when I'm leading so many different people and you can tell there's that one person and they're just really Debbie down in the whole crew. I just think that even speaks to me as a leader like like I would rather have them there even at their worst than not have them there. And I think, uh, I think maybe even a leader needs to hear that. Like we would rather see them living, following Jesus in the church or in your family or whoever's listening, connected, obviously, than not. Like let's speak to maybe though, uh, kind of change the tenor of the conversation a little bit to a little bit more from a leadership standpoint, whether you're a parent, pastor, a teacher, could be a, even a good friend, coworker. What were the warning signs? Maybe looking back now as you've just like kind of known your story, maybe other people have finally revealed what they saw or whatever it is, the warning signs you can maybe help some leaders to begin picking up right now. Maybe even could be a youth pastor on a Wednesday, it could be anything. It's like, what are the things they can be paying attention to that somebody is struggling with their mental health and they need you? First and foremost, what I need everyone to hear who's listening to this 
is that talking about suicide doesn't make it any more likely that someone will attempt and makes it much more likely that they'll seek help. They've done research study after research hmm. study. Talking about it isn't going to make it worse. So you have to be willing to lean into those conversations. And we have this fear that if we, we talk about it, we're going to put the idea there. Well, the idea is already there. Uh, a recent uh, study by the government, they do a study with high school kids, a survey every year. 44% of our high school kids in 2022 feel like persistently hopeless or sad. 44% of our high school kids feel that way. So we have to talk about these things. Now, what does that look like? How do you look out? I mean, we kind of have this picture of like a sad person crying in the shower, which sometimes it's that. Yeah. Sometimes it just looks like an athlete going about their day yeah, as you, normal. You were an athlete. Like it didn't look like there was an issue. My therapist said to me one time, you are the person who scares me the most because no one would look at your life, look at what you've accomplished and ever think that you fight the battles that you mm. fight. And sadly, we live in a country where recently the suicides that make the news are athletes and, you know, Miss America pageant winners. It's these, they're like, well, why would this, it, this is a human problem mm. and it, it doesn't have a look. It affects everyone, gender, race. It doesn't matter. Like this is a human problem and it looks different in every person. Yeah. Uh, talking about death a lot. So one of the things I used to do, I would joke all the time with my friends, like, I'm not going to live past 30. And it was, it was like just an inside joke we all had, but it was one of my little signals to them of like, I don't think I'm going to be around. Mm. Doing a lot of risky behaviors. Um, suicide isn't always immediate, right? Some people aren't, I'm going to take my life today. It's, I'm going to go find on this destructive path. I'm going to find drugs. I'm going to find the worst things that I can do. Mm. Um, sometimes, especially in teenagers, it looks like irritability. It looks like anger and fighting back. You know, we look at those kids and we, our first instinct isn't always depression or anxiety. Um, but especially in teenagers, a lot of times that combating of our parents is pushing people away on purpose. Um, not eating enough or eating too much, not sleeping enough, sleeping too much. Uh, part of the problem is we call all of these things normal teenage and college behavior, right? Yes. Like what college kid doesn't stay up all night studying for an exam, sleep all day, forget to eat, eat a pizza. And so we have to help our teens and young adults also create healthy balance in life. You know, uh, you, you begin to see some warning signs and I, I know this is a hard question. I'm trying to figure out how to word it because, um, just sitting listening, I've learned so much to be honest. Like I have so much I can take away. And I just had a conversation with somebody recently where they had told me that you are the only person that's ever talked to me about this. And I was that I was honestly shook by that shocked. And I hear even what you just said that like, this is helpful to talk about, not ever harmful. There's no study that shows this is going to be harmful. It's already an issue, so let's talk about it. But okay, you talk about it, let's say. You see the warning signs. And I know this can be different for everybody, but we talked a little bit about medication. I want to talk a little bit about counseling. Absolutely. And any resources. But how do you begin showing the steps? And I know like there, there's no like perfect or right way, but just even even using your story, people you've talked to, Somebody's seen warning signs. How do you approach that? How do you begin revealing some steps? How do you do it the right way? Resources, anything like that? So they analyzed 75 million texts from the suicide text line. And the most successful way was an expression of care. So just saying something to the effect of, you know, sometimes when people go through a breakup, they have thoughts of death or dying. Have you had any of those thoughts? Hmm. So bringing it up in a, in a way not a scary way. It's not a confrontation, Okay. Um, but also just making it a normalized conversation that you have, right? Yeah. When there's a new Netflix TV show that comes up and it's in the news, be brave enough in your small group, in your family to say, do you know anyone who's felt that way? Is there anyone in our family who's felt that way? Um, do you know anyone at school who's talked about this? And when you start to normalize that conversation, um, then people feel a lot more empowered to speak up. Now, wow. if they do share, remain calm. Uh, don't judge. Like it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing because you don't want to say the wrong thing, but just take a deep breath. Just listen. You need to connect them with other people. This is too much for one person to bear. Over and over again, I hear, my friend told me, but they made me promise I wouldn't tell anyone else. We do not make that promise. Whether you're a parent or anyone else, 
we're going to bring one other person into this. You can decide who it is. That's good. Can be a parent, can be a friend, can be a counselor. Encourage them to have it be a professional of some sort, whether that is a therapist or someone at the church. Um, Always bring someone in quickly. And then that person can, it can be a doctor. It can be, like I mentioned before, it can be your primary care doctor, but pick one person who's going to, and start building that team. You know, my care team is my doctor, a therapist, people, you know, a small group, a community, right? You got to build that team of people um, who know that resources are tough. It's tough to find good therapists. The world has changed quite a bit. There's a lot of online opportunities. There's a lot of online groups that you can go to. There's a lot of free support groups that you can attend. Um, The world is catching up on the resources side. Um, And as that caretaker, that's a great place for you to step in. That's good. And make those tangible steps. At your church, have a list of the counselors in your area. Print it off for everyone at any time or post it on your website. I saw a church that has this on their website. Okay. All of the Christian counselors within a hundred miles. Wow. T- take out some of those hard steps, right? If I've decided to go to, to counseling, boom, now you just got to make a phone call. And maybe even it's, hey, can I make that phone call for you? Hmm. Can I just set up a, a 30 minute screening and see if you like this person? An amazing idea. Um, and so anything that you can do to take out those steps for someone who already is struggling to just get by. I've heard some like uh, rumors, horror stories, whatever the thoughts are. You know, you have this spiritual world that we understand, like this is demonic in nature that wants to just, they want to take us out so we don't live our purpose for the Lord, the reason he's created us. We also realize this body and the, the chemical imbalances that it can have. And there's so many aspects, right, of this. But I've heard this whole idea of like, don't go to a secular counselor and this and this and that. How do you choose? I don't want to ask, the only thing I want to specifically say Christian counselor, not a, I don't think that's the discussion. I think how do you choose the person that has helped influence in your mind wisely? Meet three of them. Okay. Everyone needs to meet three. They'll, there's like usually a 30-minute intake, something like that. Just meet them. Ask, ask them questions. You're interviewing them, right? I, that was the biggest mistake I made at first. I just, mm, Christian counselor, his picture looks fine. I went. And it, it was not the right person not the right for fit. me. Yeah. He, he might have been the right person for a lot of other people, but... So meet with three and see and pray truthfully. Like, who do you feel comfortable sharing with? Mm. And maybe it's a fourth person. Um, there isn't a, there's no perfect counselor, right? Yeah. There's no perfect, but you, you are very wise to say, and I think some people get afraid of therapy because of that. They're afraid to open up because, oh, this person's going to judge. Or this, they're, they're bound to confidentiality by law. There's, yeah. They're not telling anyone. Um, and you... It, it comes down to you. Yeah. Where do you, and, and I've had a few different over times at different points of my life. I've needed different things. Um, and that's okay. And it's scary and it's hard work. I mean, it's such hard work to go to there. I committed to a year. So in my mid twenties, finally, I just was like, God, I'm going to give you a year. Hmm. This sucks. I want to quit every week. I don't want to talk about the abuse that I went through. I don't want to talk about bullying. I, like I do not want to, but I'll give you a year. And I'll show up. At about nine months, this guy and I, we were both kind of looked at each other. We're like, yeah, I think we've done our work here. And maybe I'll come back later. Um, but I really had to commit to it. I had to push myself mm. into it. It wasn't instant. Because it's not fun talking about the things you had to oh, talk God, about. No. God, no. Nobody wants to sit in a room and no. It's, it, and you're, when you talk about trauma, sometimes you're reliving. I mean, your body yeah. experiences it almost as if you're happening to you again. Mm. However... It's like a bruise, right? It's expanding that toolkit. When you talk about it, you reframe it. You start rubbing out that bruise. It feels a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not instant healing, but over time, instead of every time you think of that thing and it feeling like an eight out of 10, maybe it's a four out of 10. And, and that, that's what God does, right? He refreshes our mind. He, our brains are changeable, right? Our brains are malleable. So we use all of these different tools. Again, therapy is just a tool that you can try, but really, really effective for a lot of people. What would you say? um, You see warning signs in somebody, you've approached them and have the conversation, but they deny it. And it's real. They're going through it, but they deny it's even, I'm fine. They don't want to talk about it. They won't let you in. At what point do you push to keep being there and know like you need help at what point do you just got to go okay like you back off how do you, how do you gauge that yeah every situation is going to be a little bit different you have to take 
any talk of suicide or ending their life seriously. Like you have to take that seriously. Mm. If you, if someone sends you something on Snapchat and you can't get a hold of them, please call 911. Please take that step. It is so much more important that we save that person's life. I don't know a police officer on the planet that will be upset they went to check on someone yeah. who's struggling. And sometimes, while it's hard in the moment, that's the push that they need. Obviously, don't just use that. But sometimes you have to. You have to go to that extreme route. Now, most of the time, uh, I think it's just continuous care and mm. time. It's time. They might not trust anyone. We don't know why they're hurting so much. Yeah. But just being there for them, I'm not going anywhere. Truthfully, like just keep telling that to them over and over again. It makes me want to cry even just thinking about a friend who just yeah, like kept a, saying to me. A couple times, man, like when you're talking, I can feel like the presence of God. I just want to but cry. It's, it's, and that, that's the, that's us showing God's love to someone, right? I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm, I don't care how dark it is. I'm not afraid of what you've done or where you've been. I'm here yeah. for you. We're going to get through this together. Yeah. And then following up on that promise because that's yeah. hard work. Yeah, it really is. It is. But it's a, it's a commitment to each other, right? And that's what that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be, I'm committed to you. Like I look at even the team here, like shooting this and all of this and all the people that will help this in every way go out. It's like, it's a commitment. Think about this, to people that we'll probably never get to meet, but we want to see the life that God has for them come to fruition. You know, like we want to see them live it. Um, I think last question, maybe we'll see if there's more, but the last one that kind of hit me was, how do you approach somebody that they have attempted hmm. and either either they, they've been hospitalized, not hospitalized, doesn't matter, but they've been at that point where they were going to give up. They didn't. Um, maybe they're even, they appear good. Because um, I, I think what hits me is I would not even think sitting here talking to you that you struggle with these thoughts still. You don't, you don't come across that way. If I look at your social media, you don't look that, you don't look that way but it's something real you're still going through, right? That's something that you need the Lord's help. You need the people around you. You're going to keep fighting. How do you approach somebody that you know that they have before? Like, do you, how do you have the conversation? How do you, because we've already kind of identified a couple things. One, have the conversation. Two, it's not a bad thing to bring it up because it doesn't hurt anything to bring it up. But is there is there a best way to just kind of like, I don't, be in their life, but do you think about the thought? Like, I don't want them to feel shameful about what they did, and that's why I don't want to bring it up. Or like, how do you measure all that and stay following up with somebody? So much of this conversation is ask them. Okay. Ask them, right? Hey, I know this is a little awkward. Yeah. It's awkward for me too, but I just want to love you the best that I can. It's good. Is it okay that I ask you how this is going? Is there a better way for me to ask this question? When someone says to me, are you suicidal? That feels awful to me. Mm. That feels like that immediately it's like shame. We're back here. It's like, you. so for me, the preference is just, are you okay? Is, or how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help? I'm here, right? Mm -hmm. So so customize it to them and how they're feeling. It took me six years to be able to tell people that I had attempted suicide of work, of writing out my story, of working in therapy because I had so much shame around it. So we don't, we, we, there's no perfect answer for a lot of this, but it's that courage to step into those conversations. So good, man. So good. I'm going to have you pray over everybody here in a second. Um, but I want to say a couple of things to end one. I know I already pushed it, but seriously, y'all need to get this book. You need to, you need to. Um, and if you did not, if you're like, well, I'm already in the podcast, if you did not click the link in the description, you need to hear your full story because like you've left so many details out of the full story that I think is just going to help a lot of people to really kind of like step into your world. And it really helps me as knowing your story, the things you're sharing, it really helps me identify how I can utilize these things to help people. And I want to tell you not only the book and resources we talked about, counseling and all that stuff, but if you go to weareoneyouth.com slash choose to live. We have all the resources there waiting for you right now. Counselors in the area. Um, we'll have the link to this book. Uh, some of your social, we'll have some other stuff there. This podcast will be there, everything. So wherever you found this, your listening video, go to weareoneyouth.com slash choose to live or click the link in the description either way, because we want to create some resources, have some for you to help you. But man, thank you for this. I know this is going to help so many people. This has helped me. I'm literally sitting here like, I wish that I wasn't 34. I wish I was 23 
I wish I was 23 and I could start youth ministry all over again. If I don't take a breath, I'm going to cry. I just think like, man, how many moments were there that I just didn't feel equipped to know honestly how to deal with it? I felt like embarrassed to talk about it or for them, you know, or like shameful with them for them or like, I just didn't really know how to go about it. This has helped me, man, so much. Seriously. Thank you. I'm like, when the camera stops and the audio stops, I'm going to continue to say this afterwards. I'm not doing this for the show. Like this has been probably, um, like the best interview I've done in this way. Like this has been so helpful. I know this is going to help so many people. So, uh, would you just pray over anyone that's listening? Maybe they're struggling. They have family is, they're a teacher, whatever, and they just, they just need God's help. Hey God, uh, thank you for the gift of life. Yes. Jesus. Thank you for the ways that you've shown up in my life and the power that I know that you have to show up in the lives of everyone who is listening. Thank you, Jesus. I know that our brains can be a scary place. I know that the enemy uses our brains to attack us and tell us these awful things about ourselves, but I also know that that's not from you. God, I know that you are present in all of our lives, and I know that you are fighting these battles with us. Please give us the tools so we can be your hands and feet to fight back against this on the ground. If anyone is listening to this who feels like maybe their life is, isn't worth living you, I promise you that's a lie. I promise you that your brain is lying to you, that you were made on purpose for a purpose. And there are so many good things ahead in your life. If I had ended my life at 23, I never would have traveled the world. I've been to Zimbabwe. I've been to Haiti. I've been to Puerto Rico. I never would have been at the weddings of my best friends. Those days would have been sad for them. Instead, I was in their weddings and I was celebrating with them. I would have never met my niece and nephew who I love and get to see every single week. I never get to write a book and just live this story that I have lived. And I promise you that if you're listening to this and thinking that there is not another single day worth living that you're wrong. You are wrong. Not every day will be easy, but I promise you there will be days that are worth it. And there'll be days when you said, I can't believe I almost missed this. So God, please give everyone the strength, the courage, the vulnerability to have these conversations in every single church, in every single school. Give us the power to and the wisdom to talk about it and to show these people your love because your love is everything and we love you so much in jesus name amen amen <laughs>